do just want to say uh, welcome to the Thrills and Spills seminar. Uh, this was named by PJ. And so I must admit, I looked it up and thought, golly, what are thrills and spills all about? This is excitement, exhilaration, especially when derived from d d dangerous sports or entertainments. Extreme sports are recreational activities perceived as involving a high degree of risk. These activities often in speed, speed, height, level of physical exertion and highly specialised gear. The reality is they're taken on by those that are young, that are individual, and those that are isolated. Young, individual, isolated. I guess my challenge was, I think so often we think that is church planting. It's young, it's individual, and it's isolated. And what we want to feel is in this next hour and a bit that we've got together, not that we've got to share all the answers from here, we'd, we'd love to think we can get involved in this together, that actually we can be those that say, God, what is it that you're calling us to do? We, we, it's not just for the young order to get involved. It's not just on the individual. We want to feel supported. We don't want to be isolated. So this seminar is an honest, inspiring session on the highs and lows of church planting, which involve biblical teaching and practical tips. Uh, myself and Nikki, uh, we've been planting a church for about four and a half years. I guess it's almost the church now. We hope to appoint elders this year. And uh, Sheshi and Trudy, they're going to be telling their story in just a moment. They're involved in Dar Salaam. I'm going to pray. Father, we want to come before you. In many respects, we, we don't need to pursue all these sports because actually we know following you is an adventure that actually scares us half the time. And we're not confident in our own ability. We put our trust in you. And so this afternoon, we do pray that you'd speak to us, that you'd inspire us. We pray that we'll learn things from one another. We pray that we'll hear from you. God, we, we, we don't just want to go with our, our heads slightly more knowledgeable. We want to go with our hearts bursting as we leave this place. God, we, we want to have fruit, literally, for the rest of our days from the things that are shared here. So we do want to pray that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Just to explain, there are no speakers here, so you cannot hear the mic. I was told to do it because they're recording in another room, just in case you're wondering what's going on with that. <laughs> Bob Roberts says this, there is no one particular profile that a church planter must fit. However, they're all daredevils at heart. And so I thought it would be great to hear a story to kick us off. So Sheshi's going to explain their story and how they're church planting in Tanzania. Great. Well, it's wonderful to be here with you. Um, so I'm married to Trudy. We have uh, four, four kids. Um, and just wanted to share some of our story from uh, Tanzania. Um, I was born there in Dar es Salaam. And at the age of three, we, we left as a family. Um, I got saved in Zimbabwe, uh, where I had gone to study a master's degree in economics um, at the age of 23. Um, and then I felt the sense of calling to go back home to Tanzania, to Dar es Salaam, uh, while doing a PhD. Um, also in economics, I was in Nairobi, Kenya at the time, and felt God speak to me very clearly from the story of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah, who had lived out of his home uh, nation for years, actually born 
far from there and uh, God calls him to rebuild. And I felt God is saying, you need to go back and, uh, and rebuild through church planting. Uh, so 34 years later, uh, we packed our bags from Johannesburg and returned to, uh, to Dar es Salaam. We spent about eight years in Johannesburg, maybe nine, nine years in Johannesburg. And uh, we had the privilege of being part of uh, God First, which was planted by, by PJ and Ash uh, with a great team. Um, so that was very good training ground for us in terms of church planting, being on eldership and getting some, uh, some great experience uh, there. When we moved to Dar es Salaam, one of the things we felt was really critical was that we had a team. So we went on a recruiting drive. Um, praise God, we managed to get one other family to come with us. Uh, so our good friends, Kelvin and Belinda Massingham, who uh, we got to know at Cape Town Jubilee Church, uh, led by Stephen Rain, um, we asked them to come with us. Wonderfully, they agreed. They spent two years with us in Dar es Salaam, and they've since moved on to join uh, Sean and Tesdi and Bonicia and Tash to plant uh, one tribe in, in Nairobi. So that's uh, some of the background. Trudy, do you want to come and speak to us about how it's been going? Hi, everyone. So um, if you maybe have an idea where Tanzania is, it's in East Africa. And it's, um, we would say maybe Dar es Salaam is divided on the lines of Christian and Muslim. So people will say, I'm a Christian because they're not Muslim. So not because they're born again or saved, but because they want to distinguish. So that when we first arrived, we found that very interesting because a person would say, I'm Christian, but actually they're not saved, they're not following Christ, or they're Christian because their parents uh, go to church and just kind of do the routine thing and not really born again. So we've found that um, as we've planted God, um, God's tribe, we're really um, working with two different groups of people. The Christian who's not really born again and the Muslim who we all know. So we've found actually that's been amazing because we don't, when Shesh is preaching or our team is preaching, we're not just preaching assuming that um, everybody's heard the gospel. So everybody in our congregation could be coming for a year or coming for two years and still actually the penny hasn't dropped because they've got such a religious background. But we thank God we have seen salvations in our church. We have seen, so the big thing also in Tanzania is the whole thing of water baptism. Because of the religion, religious background, people are baptized when they're infants and it's just because that's what our parents do. It's, they, it's got no meaning, it's just like tradition. So people really understanding water baptism, owning it for themselves, understanding scripture. We get all the time in our church, people say, I've never seen that in the Bible. People don't read the Bible for themselves. I've never seen that in the Bible. I didn't even realize that's what the Bible says about water baptism. People being filled with the Holy Spirit, re, um, speaking in tongues, something that's completely foreign, which um, they've never seen in the Bible. So even for us, sometimes we are amazed at what God is doing because some of it we take it for granted, hey, like we think, you should get it. You should know what baptism, but actually people have no idea because they don't really have the ba background for it. Um, so we've seen uh, people saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. We've seen people in our church really grow the heart of evangelism. 
where initially it was just Sheshi's heart, now the church really has gotten it, um, heart of evangelism. We've seen Muslims come to our church, Muslims dropping their kids um, for Sunday school and just, yeah, dropping them at the gate and joining our Sunday school. So that's been awesome. That's been our biggest prayer that God uh, brings Muslims to us and he's been doing that. Um, because of the area we're in, there's a lot of poor people. So we've got a lot of poor people in the church. And that's kind of something that we grapple with all the time, like helping people with school fees or rent or that kind of thing. But really God has been helping us. You really need wisdom uh, where we are, who to help and how to help and to help well. We also do ministry to women on the streets so or prostitutes, uh, prison ministry, and we do orphanage uh, ministry. Beyond what we're doing in Da, uh, we had a couple leave us a year ago, moved to a city called Arusha, that's the second capital of Tanzania, and uh, recently have started a um, Bible study um, kind of prayer group in their home, and they're looking to plant um, a church um, similar. They, so they said when they moved, we want a church like God's tribe in the city. So we're so thankful to God. We're starting to see something um, start there. And then like Sheshi mentioned, Belinda and Kelvin who moved from our church to help plant um, in Nairobi. And we'd been praying. So when Sheshi and Kelvin first met, they said this church should be for East Africa. And that's what we're seeing, like just reaching the region. So we thank God for that. Brilliant. These guys, it's well worth asking their story. It's just absolutely incredible what they're up to in Tanzania. I was out there in February, and um, if you can't get there, look on Facebook. There are so many pictures of baptisms, which is so inspiring. You know, you just think, praise God. We've each got our own story, and I guess we just wanted to dial back a little bit and think, well, actually, what is God's story on the whole thing of when it comes to church planting? Uh, we believe biblically there has always been the plan of the Father to have for himself a people gathered from all people groups of the earth to be in fellowship with him so that his glory might be revealed. And in some respect, this whole um, conference is about that, isn't it? It's through the church. It says in Isaiah, doesn't it, chapter 49, verse 6, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So what these guys are doing there in, in, in Dar is actually this part of God's plan. What we're doing in London and what these people are doing in Canada or what you're doing wherever it is, you think, oh, surely this is part of God's plan. We know Genesis 12, doesn't he? When God comes and speaks to Abraham, he says, actually, I'm going to make you into a nation. I will bless you, make your name great so that you can bless the ends of the earth. So I think actually church planting, I would like to argue biblically, was always the plan of the Father. I think it was always the intention of the Son. Jesus didn't come to do the stuff on his own. It would be so easy, wouldn't it, to think, well, actually, you know, he is the son of God. I can do all these things. Watch, look, just imagine. But actually, his whole thing was, he said to Peter, didn't he, in Matthew 16, I tell you, Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. It's not a one-life wonder. I believe that Jesus' sort of passion and mission was to say, we want to see people come to know the Father throughout all time. And whatever your calling is, that's part of the big picture. And you suddenly think, wow, you know, I think we believe the gospel is not that actually God gets caught up with us. We get caught up with him. It's not suddenly, you know, does he come on our mission? Is he our little God that blesses us? It's actually we get caught up on his mission. And so that's really the whole thing that excites me about church planting. Because you say, well, biblically, I believe this is what God 
wants to do. In fact, I would argue as well that not only is it the plan of the Father, the intent of the Son, I believe it's the empowering of the Holy Spirit is for mission. Acts 1 verse 8, we probably all know it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You know, you were given, I'm given the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we're on a task. We're on a mission together. It wasn't just, oh, this would be some sort of fun toy. It's actually, you know, the, the Holy Spirit saying, come on, uh, these people are to be gathered from all the earth. And this is a part of what we can get involved in. And we know, don't we, throughout the book of Acts, Acts 4.31, they prayed the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is setting them apart for church planting. So not only has it been the plan of the Father, the intention of the Son, and the empowering of the Spirit, I believe that church planting was the anticipation of the prophets. And if you start reading through the Old Testament, they also were caught up on God is going to have this glorious people from across the face of the earth. There's going to be this dwelling place and that it will bring salvation and joy to the nations. Isaiah says that in Isaiah 2 verse 2. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. And so one, uh, it's almost like one prophet after another. You knew you were on safe ground if you were a prophet. You know, you could read about it in Joel 2. You can read about it in Haggai 2. It's almost like they stand up and say, actually, what do you want to know? Is God says, I'm going to have these people right across the earth. And actually, I want you guys to get caught up in this. There's something of a commissioning of us. You know, there, there's going to come this day. Yeah, I, I think loads of them would think, man, I wish I was in Washington sitting in that seminar thinking, hey, this is what we were talking about for so long. You know, this is part of, well, if we forget the big picture, we won't put on our sunglasses and walk our kids to school. I mean, wasn't that a powerful story that they were saying? You know, the people in Amsterdam, the dad, he says, I'm taking my kids to school, but I'm wearing my sunglasses in the winter because actually it's painful. But actually when you've got the big picture and you think, oh, this is what the father wanted, this was the anticipation of the prophets, then you think, okay, I'll put my sunglasses on, I'll do what it takes. I believe if you look through scripture that it was the priority of the apostles. Yeah, Jesus builds this community, doesn't he? He fills them with his Holy Spirit. They're present in a fallen world. And actually, if you read in 1 Peter 2, it says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God, precious to him, you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. It's almost like the apostles were saying, actually, this has got to be a priority for us. I find that a huge challenge. Is it a priority for me? I don't know if some of you read the book, uh, Invading Secular Space. I think he says in that, that you know, if we're not giving at least 10% to this, we can't really consider ourselves church planting movements. And I suddenly think, oh, 10%, God, how many people in our church? Or how much money is our budget? And I think, oh, God, I, I want to be here making a difference. It's almost like it was a priority for these guys. It should be a priority for us. Not only was it the prophets that looked forward to it, not only was the apostles that were excited about it, but actually it was the commission, I believe, to every single believer. Jesus' final words to the disciples, I bet most of you have preached on it, Matthew 28. He came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I'm with you always to the very ends of the age. You know, it's almost like this is your mission. This is your mission. This is your mission. You know, it's almost like Jesus saying, this is your mission, every single one. I think that, that honestly, I, I, I believe that. Now, I think you guys do. I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're in the right seminar. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're saying, actually, God, this is what we're getting caught up on. How do we get stirred about this? Peter Wagner, a church growth specialist in the state, says this. Collectively, we can scarcely feel we are obeying God if we fail to plant churches and plant them intentionally and progressively. I found that really challenging. You know, I always think, golly, you know, you, you teach people that you get baptized. Why? Because you're saying Jesus is my Lord. I mean, I love it. We, we're doing Alpha at the moment. I've got these two guys that are on my table, and they're just absolutely hungry. One was a seeker, and he brought a friend along from the army reservist that he knows, and they're just th throwing questions at me. You know, he says to me after week two, I believe Jesus was the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross. <laughs> what else do I need to do to become a Christian? <laughs> I said, surrender everything. Because you want him to suddenly think, actually, this is it. I've got to obey God. You know, I, it's almost like, I'll be honest, in my first year as a church pastor, I said, look, I'll pray for you now. You know, <laughs> I need to notch up a good story. I'm just about to go away to do a seminar. But actually, what you really want to say is, come on, how do you genuinely say to him, Look, obey God in everything. And that's why I, I, I speak this to myself. We scarcely feel we're obeying God if we fail to plant churches and plant them intentionally and progressively. For me, I'll be honest, one of the great attractions of advance, it's two things it says on the tin. Plant churches and strengthen them. And so I just love it. The fact is, you know, what are we here for? We want to plant churches and strengthen them. So we thought it'd be really helpful if we could uh, think, well, actually, how do you do this biblically? If I suddenly said to you, okay, what is the biblical model for planting churches? And uh, it's, it's meant to be an, an after-lunch seminar. It's not meant to be us doing all the work. We want to keep you involved. So uh, you need to get yourselves into groups of four. If you get yourself in groups of four, that would be really helpful. And I'm going to give you a chapter of the Bible I'm, I'm warning you now, you can't switch off on this one because you've got to tell us your answers. I'm going to give you a chapter of the Bible. You see, I, okay, if I was really honest, I don't think church planting is mentioned in the Bible. It's a bit like Trinity, isn't it? It's a concept and we put a title on it. I think if you look in the Bible, it's gospel planting. You see, the gospel was planted and so therefore they planted churches on the back of it. They shared the good news about Jesus. So we want you to look in these chapters of Acts and think, how is the gospel shared in this one chapter? And so therefore, how would that impact how I could go for planting a church? So, you know, um, so if you could just break yourselves into groups of four. Right. 
Okay, I used to be a school teacher, so one person in each group, just stick up your hand. One person in each group, you put your hand down, you're Acts 2. That hand there, you're Acts 6. That hand there, you're Acts 10. That hand there, you're Acts 11. This hand here, you're Acts 13. This hand here, you're Acts 18. Right, I'm going to stick you into Acts 2 as well. So I've got two Acts 2s. So you've just got about five minutes. I want you to read the chapter there and say, how did the gospel advance there? And then we're just going to feed these back. You might want to jot something down on paper so that you've got something to report back on. You've got five minutes to do that.
All right, one more minute, one more minute, and then you're gonna feed back. Right, okay, if we could uh, pull our knowledge, we've now got a beautiful assistant who's gonna score it for us on the whiteboard. <laughs> Acts 2, I know we had two lots of people that were looking at Acts 2, so we all know the story, don't we? That uh, Pentecost, stand up, Peter preaches. What, what could we learn about gospel advance from Acts 2? Shout it out. So I, I guess I would say, how do we see the gospel planted in each of these scenarios? You see what I'm saying? So you've got Acts 2, how is the gospel being planted here? Because I think the danger always is of a, a seminar like this, we do something on church, and if we're honest, we're all looking for the magic bullet. You know what I'm saying? You say, hey, if you just do this, your church plant's great. And then you think, well, the big story is God's committed to it. When you look at Acts, I don't want to spoil the thing, but you suddenly think, oh, these could be quite different. Spoiler alert is in. Anything else? People on Acts 2, because I know these guys are saying as well. Yep, they public. So how would this apply to us today? You were to plant a church, how would you take that model? So I might have said, that's your classic Billy Graham. How do I gather as many people as I can in one city, declare the gospel as articulately as I possibly can, and on the back of it, which I know they spent lots of time then doing, try and get people into local churches because then you know this fruit's going to stick. Uh, I'm from London. Uh, my grandmother got saved under the Jeffrey brothers. They used to do that through England. They'd, literally, they'd go in and they say, bring out all your sick. 
and uh, Royal Albert Hall one time, you know, and uh, literally people got out of wheelchairs, they threw away crutches, and they'd plant a church on the back of it. It's almost like you gather big crowds, you preach the gospel, establish a church. That could be your Acts 2 kind of model. Who was on Acts 6? Do you want to give us a few clues? What would we take out of Acts 6? And, and, and that's not necessarily one of our sort of fridge magnet kind of things, is it? Opposition, you know, the key forward. Um, but, you know, I remember reading uh, a guy out of Romania. And this is when, you know, they're under the whole regime that didn't allow Christians. And, uh, you know, they then came to England. And one of the pastors was interviewed and said, golly, how on earth did you guys survive under persecution? And he said, well, what I've noticed is that 95% of Christians survived the test of persecution. But since I've come to England, 95% of Christians fail the test of prosperity. And so actually, it, this is a classic one, isn't it? There's a hard time, but actually this really flies. And in fact, the church, we think in Jerusalem, who, who knows, could have been 40,000 people. And so actually they were able to give people and service, which was on a massive scale. So um, uh, when I planted my last church, this is my second one in London, I went to a Bill Hybels conference in Willow Creek. So I've been to America before. And uh, I was staying with a family and uh, they said, oh, what are you doing? I said, I'm planting a church in London. And they said, oh, we're planting our first one out of Willow Creek too. So I, I said, oh, let's compare notes. Worst thing I could possibly <laughs> done. I said, tell me about your church plant. He said, oh, we've got 15 people. And I thought, oh, that seems very similar to me. Until he said, on staff. Oh. 
He said, we, we've got a church of a thousand that we're going to start here. We, we've had to put air conditioning into the school because it didn't have it. You know? <laughs> and you suddenly think, oh, wow, big church could do big things. And so there's different mo- methods. You know, it could be for some of us, we'll be in a church plant that you suddenly think, golly, I've got that. Others, it's not. Acts 10, who's on Acts 10? Fire away. Like I say, God has got this great plan. They didn't know about it, really. Let's be totally honest. And they suddenly had to catch up with God. And some of us in the room, you think, I know what I'm doing for the next five years. I've got this very clear plan. And some of you think, I'm not quite sure why I'm here. My husband or wife sent me. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just trying to catch up on what God is doing. And I guess here you can suddenly find that in in Acts 10. Acts 11. We're going to skip through. Acts 11. Who's, Who's got that one? Yeah, fire away. Wow. I was going to say, no one knows what they're preaching on Sunday. Acts 11 is where you need to go. (laughs) Thank you. Acts 13. Who's on Acts 13? Yeah. Thank you. 
the whole thing, you know, how the Jewish people are understanding God, the relationship to them, and it's how Jesus is the forefront. So he said it's not what he intended, but he has to wrap his hands around it. So he contextualized the message for the Jewish people and and preached to the particular group of people he was ministering to. Wow. Brilliant. It's good, isn't it, just to stop and look at Scripture again? And you think, oh, all these different ways, aren't they? Because, you know, we can think, okay, that's the big picture. And what are the different ways it goes on? And Acts 18. Fantastic. I, I've just read a book called Gutsy, Misadventures in Church Planting. It's based on uh, 19 pioneer church plants that took place in Canada. And uh, they had taken it all out of this thing of, you know, one size fits all, and then suddenly realize it's very different. You know what I'm saying? And I guess partly that's what you could look at on a grid like this. If you had longer, you could delve into each one. Roger Ellis wrote a book on this, Advancing the Kingdom. He called Acts 2, if I remember correctly, mass evangelism. Acts 6, he said, is mega church planting. Acts 10 is maybe church planting. Acts 11 is mushroom. They all begin with M. He is a preacher. Acts 13, mobile. And Acts 18, mini mission. And what you suddenly get, and the whole thing is actually, if you look at the New Testament, there are so many different ways to plant a church. And, uh, and so what we thought would be really helpful on the back of that is hopefully with some experience is just to go through a few of the do's and don'ts. And at this point, I'm going to hand over to Sheshi. Okay. Yeah. So that was really helpful. Uh, we're here to learn as well. Um, so some do's that are have been in our experience and I think from scripture, uh, good for us to do. Uh, firstly, preach the gospel. Peter has been speaking about planting the gospel. And uh, Charles Spurgeon had this to say, um, the motto of all true servants of God must be, we preach Christ and him crucified. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. And uh, I think we couldn't sum it up better than that. The, the, the clear pattern in the book of Acts is the planting of the gospel. So if we think Acts 17, uh, where Paul and Silas end up in Thessalonica, uh, on three Sabbath days he enters the synagogue and reasons from the scriptures that Christ died and was raised from the dead. That's the pure 
message of the gospel. And, and what do we have to offer in church planting is we need to plant the gospel. What then happens is a community's birth that believes in Christ. And then we see that community then going on and proclaiming the gospel further. Planting the gospel, church formed, gospel keeps getting planted. So we preach the gospel. Next one is pray. Uh, John Piper says, life is a war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. Uh, Ron Kenoli, I think most of you know him, the American singer, he says um, in Christian life there's no demil demilitarized zone. So for Christians, actually, we should be praying. That's the one thing we should be doing. We should love praying. We should be teaching each other how to pray. We should be learning through scripture how to pray. So the mission is big and is massive. We can't really do it in our own power and strength, just like um, Steve and Pete were saying. We can't do it on our own. It's God's mission. And for God to really um, advance the mission, we must pray and ask him. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. We ask him. He's the God of the mission. So we found at God's tribe that from the beginning, we started by praying. When we got to Dar es Salaam in the December of 2012, the January, we started praying. Just the four of us with a couple we mentioned, praying in their home, asking people to join us for prayer. We now have a ladies' prayer meeting on a Monday night, um, ladies' prayer meeting on a Friday morning. We've got a men's prayer meeting on a Saturday morning. We pray on a Sunday morning, on a Saturday morning, pray on a Sunday morning. So we just think we can't do this. We can't, we can't do mission in Dar es Salaam without prayer. So just teaching ourselves to pray more, teaching the church to pray more. The next thing we should be doing is uh, taking risk. And um, it might not always look as, as fancy as what we saw in that video, but certainly that's a great principle. Mark Zuckerberg, is that correct? Did I yeah, so he says the biggest risk is not taking any risk. In a world that's changing really quickly, the only strategy that is guaranteed to fail is not taking risks. Uh, church planting is risky. Um, what's risk? It's the potential for loss when you take some, some step. And um, when we moved from Johannesburg to Dar es Salaam, um, we left jobs. Um, and I think one of the things that we were most concerned about was our son, our oldest son, who is a special needs child. And uh, we were not sure what education in Tanzania was going to look like for him. Uh, there was a real risk for us in that. But as we trusted in God, he made a way, and um, he's been faithful. Uh, but if there is no risk, we, we can't move forward. When Kelvin and Belinda left Dar es Salaam to go to Nairobi, there was no team on the ground. Sean and Tezny were already there. There was no church. Um, there was just the promise of something God is going to do. Um, so we are, by nature, uh, risk takers. Then we must be learning. Um, this is what Bill Hybels had to say. Leaders have a responsibility before God to constantly get better. And one of the most reliable ways to do so 
is to read. So um, we're called disciples, which by definition means we are lifelong learners. Uh, I had the privilege of doing the ACPC, uh, which was very helpful. We did that during our first two years of planting into Dar es Salaam. It was tough trying to hold uh, a part-time job transitioned my family into a new culture, planted church. It was crazy, and at times I felt like quitting. Uh, but my wife said, hey, you've got to press on. And I think I learned some, some good things um, learning from that. Um, reading is absolutely critical. So I've just read um, Bob Roberts's The Multiplying Church, uh, just a fantastic book on church planting. I'm currently reading a book uh, by John Gilchrist on the Quran because of our Muslim context, because I want to learn about what uh, reaching Muslims and what they believe is all about in our context. Yeah. And our last one is keep going. This is what Pele says, success is no accident. It is hard work, perseverance, learning, studying, sacrifice, and most of all, love of what you're doing or learning to do. So I guess as church planters, if we don't love what we're called to do, we can't do it. And then there's no sacrifice, there's no learning. We have to be convinced this is God's mission and we've been called to do this. And uh, I'll just share briefly. So for a long time, she actually felt this call to move to Dar es Salaam and I just wasn't going to go to Dar because I wanted the comfort of Johannesburg and I really didn't want to go to Dar. It was difficult, it was hot. There was too much discomfort for me. And then one day, God, I actually heard an audible voice. So it's not many times in my life I've heard God. I heard God say to me, who do you obey? And, that, and I knew it was this issue. And that day, I laid it down, and I said, yeah, God, we'll go. And since then, so life in Da is hard. Peter has been to Da. It's hard. Everything is difficult. It's like real hard work. But because I'm living in obedience and love of what God has called us, I actually love living in Da. I love the city. I love the people. It's hard to love the people sometimes, but I love them because God has called us. So there's, there has to be sacrifice because we love our God who's called us, and he loves those people more than I could ever love them, more than what we could ever give. God loves them. So we persevere. We keep going. Um, in my own strength, I can't do it. In our own strength, we can't do it, but God gives us the strength, and we persevere. I love, um, as long as I've known PJ, he always quotes um, Spurgeon, um, sorry, Winston Churchill, the one that goes, never give up, never give up, never, never, never give up. And we never give up because our God never gives up. So if we think how much God loves the people, we never give up. Great, so we tried to do five do's. We thought it'd be great to do three don'ts. What are some of the things that you don't? Uh, the first thing I would say this is don't compare and copy. Comparison is the enemy of joy. Comparison is the enemy of joy. So often if we compare ourselves to somebody else, either we're going to be full of pride, think, man, I'm doing great compared to you, or we're just going to think, I, I'm useless. Why don't I just walk away from this? I cannot do it. I actually do count. We count every Sunday on you know how many are there, adults, children, and if you're a church planter, you ask people to declare if they're pregnant. You know what I'm saying? We, we are fixated with numbers. But I once went to a meeting uh, of, of church leaders. Uh, this is this totally true story. And it, it, before the meeting started, they got a pot and they put it on a table. And uh, they said, look, we're all for each other. Uh, if anybody mentions one number, you'll be fined. And they put the pot there. 
So you tell me how many small groups you've got, you get fined. If you tell me how many on your alpha, we're going to fine you. You tell me how many Sunday meetings you're doing, we're fining you. We spent the whole day, and I mean, they've got about fiver in it or something like that. You know, it's a pound. Or t- but actually, people would just suddenly think, because suddenly our hearts were connected, and nobody was getting caught up on a number. And the reality is that we're all on this big picture. We're serving him. We're all going to do it in totally different ways. But the danger is that we can come here and get our identity, our security out of our numbers. And I guess uh, we'd just say this. Come on, we've got to be those that completely trust him. Charles Swindle says, when the Lord makes it clear you to follow him in this new direction, focus fully on him and refuse to be distracted by comparisons with others. You know, the reality, I've got three kids. They are all totally different. You know, you end up comparing. You think, well, that, that's just nowhere to go. Uh, this is my second church plant in London. The first church plant we did, we started with 32 people. There was 17 adults and 15 kids. It was like worshipping in Christ. You know what I'm saying? When, when the kids went out to their activities, because we had to send adults to serve them, more people left the room than stayed behind. We often used to joke, we should... Leave the kids in the big room and the adults should all go out. Now, I've moved further into London, and the way our city works is the further you go in, the less families you tend to have. So the first year of this church plant, we had one child under the age of 11. So we used to have two adults go out, because you have to in our country for child protection. You couldn't do one. So bless them. Oh, you're the one kid here. Let's go out to kids' work. You'd walk them side by side. We're going to go and have fun together. (laughs) But you just can't compare. But the danger is that we can do that with our places. And one of the don'ts that we're saying is don't compare. Yeah, the other thing I would say is don't get isolated. Uh, If any of you are involved in church planting right now, um, I don't know about you, but I found it can be very lonely. Uh, You've left your friends, you're moving to um, a new place, you don't know people, and it's very easy to feel isolated. I think that for the guys, also for the women as well. And um, uh, I know for myself, I thought after a few months, I thought I can either just feel sorry for myself and feel depressed about this or I can actually be proactive and do something about it. So um, I made contact with another church, the uh, leader's wife there, and I said, can you just meet with me every couple of weeks? Can we just chat and pray together? And that actually ended up being a real lifeline uh, for me. Uh, Also for Pete, you know, he's a bit of an outward. We're both outward processors. We love to talk out what we're thinking. So to be on our own, for Pete to work on his own or go to solitude is just like punishment for him. So, um, you know, and I think particularly if you're bivocational, if you're working and trying to plant a church, sometimes other leaders are not available. You're not available when other leaders are or just the fact that, you know, maybe you're away from other churches. Um, You know, you're just very isolated geographically where you are. So I think Pete thought, you know what, every week I'm just going to make time to give one of my mates a call. Nowadays you can just do it on Skype. It was often your dad, Zach, actually, that Pete used to phone. But, you know, he just thought, I'm just going to, every week I'm just going to call one of my mates and just that we can chat and encourage one another. In a bad week it might have been every day. But, you know, just making that time, being intentional, that actually I'm not going to let get 
get lonely. I'm going to make sure I'm, you know, keeping in contact with people. And even being at things like this, you know, we've realised that actually, you know, it is a sacrifice leaving families or money. But being here, you know, there's just so much to benefit from just, you know, fellowship with one another. Um, Terry Virgo, he says he's, uh, you know, founded the New Frontiers movement. Uh, he says it's clear from the New Testament that God never intended local churches to be isolated. Through their relationships with the unifying work of an apostle, they are caught up in an international fellowship and in the worldwide spreading of the gospel. You know, it's important to remember that we can do this together. You know, however far geographically or physically we might be from friends, we can still intentionally, um, you know, relate and befriend one another. And the last don't is don't do too much. Uh, we've often said with our church plants that, you know, when we're a supermarket, don't try and pretend that you are, sorry, when you're a corner shop, don't try and pretend that you're a supermarket. You know, that's the, the danger that you try and do too much too quickly. So when we um, started our first church about 15 years ago, we thought we're going to do three things well. We're going to do Sundays, we're going to do small groups, and we're going to do Alpha. And we thought we just want to do those three things really well. So that's what we committed ourselves to. It actually ended up being about four years that we just gave ourselves to those things. People would say, you know, what about having a student weekend away? We're like, no, Sunday, small group, alpha. They'd say, oh, what about the men's ministry or the women's ministry or what, what are we going to do about the poor? We'd say we're giving ourselves to Sunday, small group, alpha. You know, they say, what about membership or, you know, this, that or the other? No, Sunday, small group, alpha. We just thought we're going to give ourselves, because it's tiring when you're a small church plant, just putting on a Sunday morning. It is exhausting, you know. For So we thought we don't want to wear people out. We want to allow people to connect in the communities that they're in. We don't want to have so many programs that we're just tiring them out. So just make sure, keep the main things the main things. And I think if you do fewer things well, you can actually have a much greater input, uh, impact. Uh, Andy Stanley, who's a senior pastor at North Point Community Church, he said, devoting a little of yourself to everything means committing a great deal of yourself to nothing. And that, you know, that's the danger, isn't it? You can think, here we are, rock up, we're going to do absolutely everything we possibly can. And before you know it, um, you know, you, you're burning out. Bill Hybels says, never start a ministry until you have a minister. You know, if you haven't got loads of people and you're trying to do everything on your own, you're actually going to burn out. Uh, so I know even in our first church plant, people had a heart to do things. One uh, mum wanted to do a kid's work. Um, and we said, do you want to head up this kid's work? Um, you know, like a mother and toddler group in the community. And she said, yeah, actually, I've got a passion for that. So we said, great, we'll get behind you. Someone else wanted to do an international ministry in the church. We said, are you going to head that up? Yeah. So we said, great, we'll get behind you. But it's just making sure that you're not burning out trying to do too much. Uh, we thought it'd be really helpful if you get back into your fours now and we've got a couple of questions because we don't want to feel like all the tips come from here. I'm aware that people here are planting churches, about to plant churches. So it'll be really great just to turn our five minutes talking that through. 
You know, what have you done in five years or what do you plan to do in the next five years? Actually, where are you right now? Is there something you think, oh, it'd be really helpful just to talk to somebody else? We will be ending with some prayer together, but I just thought it'd be great to sort of connect to one another. So if you get back into fours, I'll give you five minutes for that. Ha, 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 ha. 
One more minute, and I'll pull us back together. One more minute. Great, if I could just call us back together again, that would be fantastic. Sorry, I, I know you, you learn so much more from one another than the person at the front. We're just running right out of time. I'd like to sort of land us uh, nicely and to pray just a moment. But before we did that, I just wondered if there's any comments, questions, things people wanted to feed back. I used to be a school teacher, no questions. It was either a perfect lesson or they didn't understand a word. Spirit, 
It, it does change so much. That I'll, I'll be honest, uh, I set myself the challenge of reading because uh, when I did my first church plant, I thought I don't want my leadership to be a lid on it. Uh, so I, I try and read a book a week. But the danger then is I just want to take another idea. And how do I genuinely think, Father, what are you saying? And like you say, how do you make this comment? Actually, he's doing it and I'm catching up on him. And it's his timing. It's not mine, isn't it? And it's his gospel. And I think so often the challenge can feel, you know, I, I'll be honest, when Steve Van Ryan preached this morning, I was on the floor number one, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Prayerlessness, and, oh, golly, don't give me another seven. <laughs> I'm not standing already, you know, and it's so easy, isn't it? It can be by me for me. And you think, well, actually, the whole challenge is it's, it's by him for him. And, you know, that's where you want people to go. You want people to go leaving this thinking, actually, what a... A tremendous privilege to be involved in this. Uh, I was here last weekend actually and went to Capitol Hill. Mark Deva is the, the leader there and he says the church is not fundamentally a human idea or human creation. It is God's idea and God's work. In one sense, God is the great church planter. And I thought, yeah, that's surely where we want to get to, isn't it? You think, yeah, God, you are the great church planter. And um, and I, I guess there's just one thing I'd like to leave you with. Bob Roberts says in the book Multiplying Church, I found that probably the most helpful uh, book I've read on church planting. Most church planters don't need more information. They need more encouragement. And what I would love is if you're actually involved in church planting, that you go away from here feeling encouraged. Feeling, oh, God, yeah, you're, I'm on your side. <laughs> you, know, you know what you're doing. It's always been your plan, and I'm right with you. And uh, if you're not yet planting but you know a planter, then I'd love you to go away and think, how could I really encourage them? I mean, this probably sounds stupid, but, you know, if you sent them $100 and said, thinking about you, praying for you, you'd be amazed what that'd do to a church planter. You see, and what they probably don't need is, oh, why don't you go and link to this seminar, which you probably won't hear because it's been lots of quiet bits and all that anyway. What they probably really want is, look, I'm praying for you, and I, I just want to encourage you. I thought about you. You know what I'm saying? Someone's abroad and you send them some chocolate or something. That's encouragement. And they're going, ah, oh, I've not been forgotten. You see what I'm saying? Or, you know, you just think, uh, it's amazing. Uh, so I've coached a few church planters in the UK, and I found this. If you go to their patch and walk it, I've known guys cry in the street. I mean, genuinely. You know, and I guess I th I've always thought I want to cheer to. We had one guy come and talk to me. He actually came to mind. And as you're getting on the train today, I said, look, we believe in you. We've put the first thousand pound in your account. And this is, you know, we're British. We don't do this kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Stood on the train station, he cried. And I, I thought, you know, without being rude, you know, it's a thousand pound. It's not, I mean, it's not going to change your life, is it? But what it said was, I felt encouraged in what I'm doing. Somebody believes me. Someone's in my corner. If you are planting right now, why don't you stand? Because we would love to pray for you. So you think, actually, I've been involved in a church right in the last couple of years. That would be great. You stand. We would love to pray. Some encouragement for you guys. <coughs> Rather than this being a spectator sport, church planting's not. We can gather around these folk. Let's put our hands on them and let's pray a blessing over them. A blessing over them. 
I will pray out in just a moment, but let's, in fact, I'll kick off and then you can prophesy over them. Father, we thank you for these that are, are planting churches now. God, we want them to go feeling encouraged and blessed. Oh, God, we, we thank you. You're a father. We thank you. You're a father who loves them. We thank you. It's your church plant, not theirs. We thank you. It's your plan. It's your idea. It's your design. You're the God of miracles. And God, as we end this seminar, we want them to go freely blessed and encouraged. And so, Father, each of these people now, we pray for. We pray for them in the name of Jesus. Everything we want for ourselves, we say double on a church planter. Oh, God, a walk with you, to hear your voice, to know your spirit, to enjoy your word, to, to connect with other believers, to see people saved, baptized. We pray double it on every church planter in Jesus' name. Right, let's pray just for these folk now.